Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today we are here for the sixth episode of our movie series. We watched Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Strap on your magnetic boots, everyone. This is a crazy ride. It really is. (laughs) And can you believe this is the last of our original series movies, technically? I can't believe... Yeah, I, I can't believe it. I feel like these series always fly by once we're in the middle of them. But this yeah. one in particular, I uh, I just, I look forward to watching these movies. And then when we finally watch them and then record, I'm like, well, dust in the wind. <laughs> there they go. Literally, <laughs> it is weird because like I'm so used to watching like 20 plus episodes a week. <laughs> because we're a little bit insane in case you haven't all realized this yet. Yes. <laughs> we're outing ourselves as a little crazy. It's just bizarre to only watch one movie and just get to talk about it. It's kind of a, a, you know, a breath of fresh air, but it's also just interesting, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's really different. And I've enjoyed having no constraints about what we can talk about, just like going wild talking about everything. And I also find that after we're done with the recording, sometimes I think, wow, we didn't even talk about that scene. But also I feel like I love where our conversations go and I wouldn't change the podcast. You know, like, it's not like I want to call Rihanna up and be like, let's re-record it and talk about this exact moment because (laughs) I feel like we've been in a good flow and have been having a really fun time. Yeah, well... I think, too, because I remember the one horrible time that we lost our Star Trek Picard pilot podcast. Oh, God. That was so awful. It was awful. (laughs) We had to re-record, like, two and a half hours of content. It was so rough, guys. (laughs) But honestly, we re-recorded this beautiful episode that was completely different from the first one and had a lot even, like, we dove even deeper and had even more meaningful talks. And so... I agree. I feel like whatever comes of each podcast is really organic and beautiful. And like, honestly, I'm just, I'm here for it. So in case you guys didn't know, we really love doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we really do. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, it's also amazing just the amount of time spent on each of these. I think that like, I love getting to dive really deep into these movies and get to talk about them more than I ever would just on a daily basis, you know? I'm really excited to dive deep, particularly about this movie, because there's a lot to unpack. Rihanna, I mean, you mean you don't talk about Undiscovered Country on a daily basis? (laughs) (laughs) Not if I can help it. (laughs) All right, so before we start talking about this beautiful whodunit movie... Um, this murder mystery, Murder She Wrote. (laughs) I have a really beautiful comment, actually two comments from an Instagrammer that we love so much, Ratchagino9. (laughs) And I think we've even talked about them on the podcast before, but they just were really into the Whales podcast that we did two weeks ago, uh, The Voyage Home, and uh, left us a couple of comments that were just so sweet. So they said, I'm finishing the one with the whales. 
Once I'm done with it, which I'm loving, by the way, I'm getting on this one. You guys are hilarious. I love your show. And then also went on to say, your episode on Search for Spock inspired me to burst out my ultimate comfort trek movie. And I love the fun facts you mentioned that I wasn't even aware of. Like Eddie Murphy, what? LOL. I wonder how different the movie would have been if at all. And Ashlyn's hunchback whales moment, I lost it. You gals are awesome. Can't wait to hear the new episode. Thank you, Rex Your Nine. We can't wait to just see more of your content on Instagram. You're amazing. Yeah, wow. It's just like so sweet. We love hearing from our followers. And yeah, I'm, I was really debating when I was editing the podcast if I should keep in the hunchback whales because I felt so, <laughs> so silly. <laughs> but I'm glad I did. I'm glad it gave you a laugh. <laughs> well, honestly, it's, it's fun keeping in those organic moments where we do mess up something, you know, when it's funny because like we're human and even though we're super freaky star trek fans we still say some weird things <laughs> yeah, yeah like the humpback of notre dame is my favorite disney movie you know oh, yes. <laughs> oh. yeah thank you so much rock Gino 9 it just means so much to have you guys just sharing what you love about the pod because we love to hear it <laughs> absolutely okay rihanna I have a question, and I know the answer, but for, okay. the, for the benefit of our listeners, what is your memory of watching Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country? Where were you? What was going on? And what were your lasting impressions of it? Well, I think this is going to really deeply surprise all of our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> but we were in Georgia. <laughs> We were in Georgia for this uh, episode, or I mean, for this movie, watching The Undiscovered Country on the same couch we watched the previous five We films. just, like, binged them all in, like, three days. I'm telling you, like, our mom is next level. Like, she goes hard, and it's amazing, because we- the best place to go next level is Star Trek, and I have a quick thing to say about our mom, too. She just finished The Next Generation, and she literally told us, oh, uh... She was at the beginning of season seven, and she goes, oh yeah, I'll probably be done by Friday, because it takes me about ten days to finish a season. And I was like, how many days now? (laughs) To finish 26 episodes? What was that, Mom? (laughs) And she did it, I think, in less, honestly. Yeah, I think she did. And then immediately started Picard, like, didn't even tell us how she liked the finale. Immediately was like, guess what I'm watching? And we were like, what? So shout out to our mom for going X Games mode on every Star Trek. I feel like she started Picard on the day that we watched this movie together, Undiscovered Country. And I think that was Thursday. Is that right? Yeah. Um, So, and we're recording this on Monday. So she texted us today. Like I woke up to a text that said, OMG, seven of nine. And so for you Picard fans, you know, she's like almost halfway done or more than halfway done with Picard. So so just saying we may or may not have converted our mom into a super fan, but also if she showed all her kids every single original series movie in one weekend, she was already a super fan. So. Yeah, I feel like in a great way, what comes around goes around, you know, yeah. it's like, or just as Guinan says, full circle. Yes. <laughs> And we're going to talk about Guinan in the next movie, so there Oh, you go. I'm warming up your Guinan minds. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> I don't, I don't, your, your ears for guidance, I guess. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, we're in Georgia, we're watching this movie and I swear to God, the only parts I remember are the floating pink blood because the animation is just wacky to me and it still is when I watched it on Thursday. And I also remember the shape-shifting lady kissing Kirk. And that's all, folks. Literally, that's why I thought this movie was terrible. Because if you only remember <laughs> those two parts, it's not going to be very good in your memory. Um, so I remember being just, my overall sense was meh. Meh. And that's it. Meh. Period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed a lot since then. But that's my initial take. Ashlyn, what about you? I mean, so I'm pretty sure I was on, like, the second couch cushion in Georgia, <laughs> and you were on the third. Yeah, I was in the middle, yeah. yeah. Um, and my memories of this movie was also the pink blood, also Kirk kissing the shapeshifter. For some reason, I thought that Kirk kissed the shapeshifter, and then the shapeshifter turned into Kirk. And, then, and like Kirk was kissing himself, but I realized that's not what happened. I mean, I think if Shatner had, like, I feel like that would be on brand yeah. for Shatner to want to kiss himself. So, like, I'm I'm not surprised that that got construed in your head. Yeah, I had a false memory there, but yeah, I it is very in character. Um, the other thing I remember is that they were looking for the boots everywhere in the locker. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I remember that there's a scene where Scotty's like running to save someone at the end. And that was about it. And I remember vaguely, I vaguely remember that there was a Vulcan lady too. Oh yeah. That's I had completely it. forgotten about her until I saw her face again. How could <laughs> to you be forget about Kim Cattrall, Rihanna? <laughs> <laughs> Easily. Her, her pre-Sex in the City days were, oh uh, were, were strong. Something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So those are our memories. Not very strong, will I say. Because, like... Ooh. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is that I feel like all of the other movies, with the exception of the motion picture... I try to rewatch every couple years. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Undiscovered Country, I just don't crave it that often. And yeah. so I was doing some calculations. And the last time I've seen this movie was in 2010. So that's Whoa. like 11 years past between these watchings. And that, I mean, obviously that's way too long. I apologize to Undiscovered Country. Um, <laughs> but it was the closest thing that I'm going to get for a while about, like, a, a fresh slate, like, watching it for the first time. You know, I feel like 11 years goes by how much would I really remember. And it turned out I really did not remember, like, any of the movie. Yeah, that's so fair. I had seen this movie with our Needs of the Many group from when I was in San Francisco, or I guess when we were in lockdown. So I saw it recently, but I gotta tell you, I still did not remember a lot of it. <laughs> didn't quite hold, didn't, didn't catch in the trap there. Yeah, I feel like for me, the parts I love most about Star Trek are, particularly the original series era, are the campiness. I really love the, like, the humor and the writing, the character building writing has always been some of my favorites and I feel like this had a little bit of nothing of those, <laughs> like this didn't really have a lot of that and so I think for me you know, I mean obviously I love episodes like Drumhead and like Trial episodes are always interesting to me, but they don't stick out in my mind as much as episodes like 
mm, played with stepchildren where there's like a lot of goofy shenanigans or shore leave you know i'm way more of a fan of the like goofy campy tos episodes of course i love city on the edge of forever and stuff like that um but i'm gonna remember the whales way more than i'm gonna remember some boots see i'm the opposite although i do agree so i think that there are not a lot of memorable one-liners from this movie except for really like solemn quotes that spock has Mm -hmm. and then of course general chang quotes literary references out the wazoo like we he's obsessed we're gonna we're gonna really talk about that later um but so i feel like there's not a lot of great one-liners from this one like we're lost but we're making good time or there be whales here. there be whales here you know um like, i grew a new kidney like you know there's there's none of that in this and it is not as fun but i think i tend to prefer those star trek episodes over the goofy ones mm-hmm. the goofy ones are fun every once in a while but i think if you're gonna bring a movie to the big screen it should be for something that's more that historic and this absolutely is this is one of the biggest moments in star trek history especially for the original series because the klingons have been a constant enemy the entire time and the whole premise of this movie is that it is finally time to make peace with the klingons thank the lord (laughs) it's been long enough i know and this is this totally okay well are we ready because i have some history okay okay let's let's just let's dive right in um so as I mentioned at the end of the last podcast, <laughs> they were planning on making a sixth movie and they thought Final Frontier was going to be the end, but the 25th anniversary of Star Trek was coming up and they said Par- Paramount, you know, they have to continually renew their like claim, their copyright claim on Star Trek. And so you have to keep producing movies every couple of years. And so they thought, okay, the 25th anniversary is a great reason to make a movie and then we can still, like, claim Star Trek as being (laughs) ours. And it's, you know, it'll be a good way to say goodbye to the cast and actually have a final movie. Yeah, and before you go on, Ashlyn, we were talking with our little sister, Gabby, uh, last night, and she was shocked that Star Trek wasn't owned by Disney because everything is owned by Disney. And so I was just thinking that how, like, Paramount will literally keep their claws clutched on Star Trek because it's such a huge franchise and that's something you do not want to lose to Disney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, I hope Could in you our imagine? lifetime. I'd be so bad. <laughs> well, I mean, we've already had Star Wars and Marvel fall to this, you know? Yep. So I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, especially now that Sony and Disney have kind of had a marriage and uh-huh. Fox and Disney. I feel like yep. we're kind of like rounding the drain here. Yep. Um, but that would be called a monopoly. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Not what we want, but I just am always cracking up at it because you're so right. Paramount needs to like keep on it. That's why I think they started Paramount Plus and made it not CBS, you know, all that stuff. Well, I know there was some drama when that yeah. happened, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this movie was released in... It was released on December 6th, 1991, which I also just want to shout out. That's my anniversary, December 6th. But I was not born in 1991. So, Um, But the saddest thing about this is that they kind of, they they did not consult 
Gene Roddenberry at all about this movie, but he really had not been involved in any of them. And you'll notice he wasn't even given executive producer credit on this one. He just it is credited as the creator of Star Trek. And uh, very sadly, Gene Roddenberry actually passed away on October 24th, 1991. Mm-hmm. So this is when you know, this is just a couple months before releasing the movie. And I know that they were having the 25th anniversary Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, which Mm. is a huge convention. I think it's probably the biggest one. Yeah. uh, Especially for Star Trek. And it was during the convention that he passed away. And so Mm. I've heard stories of people just devastated. I mean, can you imagine you're with all the biggest Star Trek fans in the country, like maybe the world on a big anniversary day and Star Trek and like the creator dies. At least we, they all get to mourn together. You know, I'm kind of glad that like so many Trek fans were in the same vicinity so that they could like give each other hugs and there was no pandemic. So they could just like have a a seance circle. Remember hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But I imagine, you know, this really cast a shadow on the film. And you will notice that that is in the first shot of the movie, as it says, mm-hmm. for Gene. So, for Gene Ronberry, yeah. Mm. Well, and at this point, um, you know, Gene is known for all of his work on original series and then also helping to start the next generation and he did have his hands on a lot of the first season um which started as i've mentioned in 1987 Mm -hmm. and so by 91 we've already had like three seasons um almost four seasons of the next generation so it was really going strong Mm -hmm. and I know this is why they chose this specific plot for this movie is because obviously audiences are seeing every night that there's peace with the Klingons and Worf is on the ship and everything's going great. And so they wanted to show that transition happening with our original series cast. And so I think it's a really interesting and exciting point of view to do. And I actually think it's one of the best reasons to make a movie like this like this is one movie where i i would not want to see it as an episode i think it's so epic that it should be feature length and you know we've talked so much about how like motion picture could have been a tv episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) um even low-key like final frontier could have been an episode frontier yeah yeah so uh i'm glad that they decide to go with this story for this movie and I being a huge like diplomatic Star Trek politics nerd am really excited at the prospect to see this happen you know and something I love so much about this is that it does answer a lot of the questions that we have in Next Generation and fills in those gaps I think you're absolutely right if they would have just done like a flashback like it wouldn't have involved all our main people and I think that was perfect timing for this And also, I think it paved the way for other diplomatic episodes or just show starts of stuff like with Enterprise. I feel like they probably took a lot of Undiscovered Country as sort of a basis for the ending of Enterprise. You know, I knew they were building towards this sort of foundation of of the Federation and Starfleet and all of this stuff. And so I think that it's cool to think like maybe they rewatched the Undiscovered Country before finishing out Enterprise to really get an idea of how these diplomatic uh, proceedings would go. Yeah, absolutely. I love that point, Rihanna. Yeah. I was going to say that um, you might have noticed also in the credits that Leonard Nimoy 
was credited with helping to write this story. And so him, along with Lawrence Koner and Mark Rosenthal, all helped to create it. And then it was written by Nicholas Meyer and Denny Martin Flynn. And then also directed by Nicholas Meyer. So I feel like this is a good creative team. And it really is classic Star Trek. And yeah, you're totally right. Enterprise really does go really along this route too. Because it's important, I think, to remember our roots of Star Trek particularly. And because there's so much that's built up around the Klingons in the original series. And they're always the villains, you know, and the Romulans. And so to get to see this in action and to hear about Kittimer and everything particularly because of all the wharf history we already have in the next generation so cool yeah so cool well and um, I'll drop a couple fun facts and then we can get on with the plot I know that they were playing with a lot of different ideas about what this movie should be about and something that they wanted to do before they landed on Peace with the Klingons was a prequel starring Mm. Kirk and Spock and McCoy at Starfleet Academy what yep so <laughs> that um it, it was <laughs> way <laughs> they had this idea in 19 like in 1990 to do That's this amazing. so this is something that had been in the in the pipeline for a long time they were calling it uh top gun in outer space <laughs> oh my god it's hilarious so i thought that was really interesting there's no way they could have pulled that off with the ages of the actors well they, they no, they would have recasted it yeah which i which they did eventually yeah but i feel like that would have been such a slap in the face because yeah. all of these other actors are still like alive and willing to do movies it would have been really sad to see them all recasted for the 25th anniversary like in doing it with strangers you know yeah that just doesn't seem feasible and i'm really glad they went just this direction instead because it is a pretty beautiful send-off for our main cast i really found it to be so special the way that throughout the movie we get these hints of goodbyes you know i mean the lines particularly there's so many good moments where you can tell that this is a farewell film yeah exactly they they knew from the beginning this is actually the last one (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it is special because it is the last time we get to see all the original cast together and i think that is something that even though we start out with this movie with Sulu at a different place. You know, he's finally captain of the Excelsior, Woo! which is amazing. Literally, Ashley goes, where's Tuvok? And I'm like, <laughs> me too. That's what I'm wondering. We need like a young Tim Russ here in the background. <laughs> yeah, I was really waiting for that. <laughs> Tuvok must have transferred after this movie to yeah. the Excelsior. Oh, yeah. probably, because Sulu still has a lot. I don't, I think he had more years under his belt in that Voyager episode, so. Yeah, I think so. Well, and I thought it was great to see Sulu in this role. We know that George Takei has been advocating for a bigger part in the movies and wanted Sulu to start ranking up, and so it's beautiful to see this happening, that he has his own ship. It reminded me of when we see Chekhov as a first officer way back in uh, Wrath of Khan. And it also had me wondering why Chekhov isn't, like, a captain. Or, like, why is he still in the Enterprise hanging out? He just uh, wants to hang out with the fam, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. I think maybe he was pretty broken up after what happened to Captain Terrell. Like, who wouldn't be Mm. watching your captive, like, kill himself? That's 
let's like read Rio stuff. Yeah. I mean, so I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't just like quit Starfleet altogether. Yeah, that's true. He just wanted to play it safe and he knew Kirk would uh, not do anything crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, he did. <laughs> not anything too crazy. Yeah. Well, and so uh, Sulu says when they see him in the beginning that he has been in the beta quadrant for three years. Yeah. So we have had no info about the Beta Quadrant, especially in TOS era. But also, like, even now, I don't think we've ever been in the Beta Quadrant besides the, a random moment in Discovery, right? Isn't that, like, church oh, thing in the Beta Quadrant uh, that the right. Red Angel transported? Yeah. Anyway, other than Terlesium. that. Yeah, Terlesium. No, no. no I was going to say Terlesium too, but I don't no, think that's, that's the right. the other one in the future anyway uh, yeah um but so i thought that was so interesting and also it seems like really far away <laughs> yeah you've read about that Ashley. it is far away and i think partially this is why i'm so amazed that sulu can make it into this movie because i guess he's turning around and coming back like they're finished with their mission well i thought he was just recalled because of this oh, disaster yeah, well, and mm-hmm. so also, so they're supposed to be in the beta quadrant, but didn't they encounter in this first scene that the Klingon moon Praxis had blown up yeah. and because they were doing like research on it, I'm, I'm equating it to like nuclear weapons testing, but yeah. you know, but Star Trek version, they're like doing bomb testing on the moon yeah, it's like bikini atoll but in space <laughs> yeah yeah and they had a, a air, an issue um and they said they're not requesting assistance and sulu was already to help them this was the excelsior right yeah i mean sulu literally spilled the tea in the beginning yeah <laughs> from literal the explosion. tea <laughs> but why i i guess i'm just confused on the geography because if he's in the beta quadrant why is there a klingon moon so far out i i didn't think that Kronos was in the Beta Quadrant. No, I'm pretty sure it's in the Alpha. Um, I'm not sure about this either. I really did think that this was Sulu coming back, but maybe like coming back from his from his mission. Maybe it was a three year mission. Mm, That would, I guess, uh, that would make sense. So he's on his way back, and he sees this happening. I thought he got recalled. But I think that also sounds familiar. So, (laughs) yeah. I mean, either way, Sulu gets to encounter this, and it's such a fun way to start this film because we don't, we usually get Kirk climbing a rock or uh, Kirk being sad about his birthday. Like, there's so many, like, Kirk centered starts or Spock centered starts to these films that, like, when we get a moment where we start with Chekhov or we start with. Um, which actually we don't start with Chekhov and but you know like when we get these moments of characters at a different location it's really interesting particularly seeing Captain Sulu I mean oh my god who wouldn't want to be on the Excelsior with Captain Sulu that sounds incredible yeah seriously I'm just so happy for him and also he is he's badass like yeah he's awesome he's a great captain he's unafraid Oh, I I just love Sulu. I and that's something I didn't expect because I I always have really liked Sulu, but this movie rewatch has really awoken something within me that I really am into Sulu. Well, and it's amazing too because he also is uh 
like he had his eye on the Excelsior for quite a while. And so it's amazing that he was able to sort of get her, you know? Yeah, he really manifested right there. He, <laughs> he was like, I will be the captain. I will be the captain. He really like set and up here his we are. board and oh, did it. You know he did. Every night he was looking at a picture of the Excelsior before he went to bed. He was like, <laughs> that's my ship. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Love it Absolutely. for him out here. Yeah, it's such a glow up. It's so good. Um, So this is so interesting to me everything that this sets up because essentially so we know that this explosion happened on praxis i know that it's also kind of alluding to the cold war where both uh powers are testing their weapons and kind of flexing and showing oh we might destroy you or oh no Mm -hmm. i'm gonna destroy you first the result of all of this is that the klingon homeworld chronos has become so polluted in their atmosphere that their economy is no longer able to fix it. Like they're, they don't have enough money to put into cleaning the atmosphere or into like really doing anything to save the Klingons. And so they only have, they only have 50 years left before basically the planet becomes uninhabitable. And I, I did not we like this. I, I, okay, Rihanna, it's not going to be uninhabitable in 50 years. It's just going to be extremely terrible. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. I stand corrected. Just extremely terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, this did... I was trying not to get sent into a climate crisis. Uh... <laughs> oh, I immediately was. <laughs> looking into the void. We played a drinking game for this one as well with our yes, mom. Yes, we did. And that was very helpful for the moments of the void that I looked into. <laughs> yeah, I I was really shaken that this was the plot. Like, I again, I like I had not remembered any of this. And the fact that the Klingons have kind of done this to themselves. And so they're looking to the Federation or anyone to help them. And so that requires them to make peace finally. And we have never really seen the Klingons desperate in any way. They're portrayed as such a proud warrior race. And so to see them have to turn around and say, we need your help is very humbling and just such an interesting shift too because obviously not all klingons feel this way even though the end of their home world is imminent this is just so picard honestly obviously it's for a different reason the romulan star was going supernova and so that's not something that the romulans like did to themselves uh by destroying their planet but it is very similar because we're having a race who is known to be the villains of whatever series we're in having to come to terms with the fact that they need help and the fact that they need starfleet assistance and so it is really interesting and such a great plot that i really think that star trek 2009 and picard looked to the undiscovered country for a similar idea because as i'm watching this i'm just thinking so much about picard and i'm thinking so much about the politics that go into bringing in an enemy onto your side and you start to learn to make peace. I mean, we see particularly it's very hard with the Klingons because there's so much animosity and we see it's very hard with the Romulans and Picard, or at least we learn that it was while Picard was doing this project. And so 
I just think it's so fascinating and I really am enthralled by this plot because it allows for something that is desperate enough that you have to put aside your differences. And I think that this is like essential of what we need to be doing on earth right now, you know, is that like we need to start putting aside our differences, stop denying climate change and start working together or else we will not make it to the Star Trek era. Like, we will not become Starfleet if we don't get it together, you know? Uh, Rihanna! (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying Uh. the truth, and I think that that's something that this movie does so well, is it shows, like, no matter how stubborn you are, no matter how many plots are in the way to make this not happen, you have to push through and find it within yourself to forgive the other half or the other side who you've been fighting with for so long. Absolutely. Well, and I was also really thinking because last Sunday I watched a John Oliver episode on HBO and in the first 10 minutes he always talks about like the current events that are going on and he was talking about the COP26 climate summit that just happened and it was all of the world's leaders coming together to talk about climate change and about how their countries are going to curb basically like their carbon emissions and all that. And um, Biden fell asleep during the conference. And it's it's like there's a clip of a world leader saying this is the most important summit in world history. And you just see Biden asleep during it. And like, no matter what your politics are, like, that is just so gross. (laughs) I just was like, what the heck is happening? Yeah. So just seeing that happen in real time and then seeing like poor Klingons are like destroying their planet. I was like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Just like, I beg (laughs) all of you, like, don't be asleep at the wheel. Literally, like, literally, (laughs) thank you for bringing this up, because also at that summit, everyone made decisions to lower emissions, which is great, but it's not enough. Like, literally, none of it was enough, and all of them know that, (laughs) and they're still not going to do anything about it. So it's just like... The planet is still going to warm to, like, 1.8 degrees more than it already is, but that means that we're already, like, past the threshold of, like, too much change. Mm -hmm. So I just hope everyone's ready for, like, warm winters now and, like, more hurricanes and fires. Okay, Rihanna, we have to, like, get out of this. I'm sorry, I'm, like, in tears because this is not... The podcast is going to, like, sink into it. (laughs) Into Crying on the podcast. It's fine. Call your legislators. How can we help? We, we need a way to help. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So I just think that once again, we're having Star Trek be ahead of its time, really talking about stuff that were issues in that time period as well as now. And I think that it's so important that we always like listen to Star Trek because it's very much a future teller. You know, I'm thinking about Deep Space Nine does a lot of this stuff where I'm like, wow. <laughs> anyway, I can't talk about too much of like what they predicted in the future. Oh, I was thinking about like the homeless episode. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. And also that John Oliver was about homelessness. So I was like, whoa, this is a uh, lot right now. And anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I just, I really do appreciate this movie taking this stand because I'm sure even in the 90s, uh, I think at that point, they finally decided to get rid of like the the crazy heaters that were causing a lot of global warming or something you know so like changes were happening within like the global climate but it still of course was even worse than it is today because there wasn't a lot of legislation around it and so i think this is 
you know, the writers, once again, channeling Jean's spirit and energy and saying, we need to talk about issues that are absolutely important and just put them in space and put them in a context that people can still enjoy and understand. Yeah, and absolutely. you're right, too. Yeah. Like, this this movie was very informed by the Cold War. And so we're, we're looking at a movie that is very multifaceted. It's trying to do a lot of things at once, but I don't feel overwhelmed by it. I don't feel no. like I'm watching Final Frontier where I'm wondering about the Peace Planet and Cybok and all of this now i know the motive you know and i know that like it's hearkening on stuff in our world but i also understand that peace with the klingons is something we already have and so i don't feel as apprehensive about it about like the outcome of this movie because you know it's gonna go well if you've already seen next generation and so i kind of appreciate that about it but when i was watching it for my first time obviously i had no clue that there was going to be peace with the klingons Yeah, and that brings up a really interesting perspective because obviously they made this movie knowing that there was going to be peace because it was on TV. And so I feel like maybe they were trying to create a museum movie, you know, where they pick out an interesting point in Star Trek history and they're like, let's showcase this. And I really enjoy that. But it's also, I don't know, it just is interesting because I do think it kind of deflates the overall results like I guess the stakes aren't quite as high I mean I know for us like as kids and as people who maybe didn't like the next generation like my I know our dad like wasn't watching next gen at the time so probably for him he was like whoa like what's gonna happen will there be peace and so I don't know I think it's interesting to like kind of ride that line and yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, I think it splits the fans into two camps almost of people who are very much just original series fans coming to see this movie versus people who have been keeping up with the next generation. And I think it can appease both, and that's what's beautiful about this film. Yeah, that's true. I'm just wondering if it like cheapens the stakes I by think so. creating that. I don't think so because I'd much rather just know the history. It's like watching Enterprise. Yeah. I don't ever feel disappointed. I mean, I feel disappointed in the finale, but who doesn't? But I never feel disappointed in the episode before because it gives us something we already know is deeply entrenched in Star Trek history, but we've never seen it, you know? And I think that, like, as much as they can talk about the, you know, the peace talks at Starfleet that started the Federation or the Kittimer Accords or, you know, like anything like that, all of this stuff that we hear about, it's so much more epic when you get to see it in action. Yeah, I totally agree. One, we always complain on the podcast about how Rian and I wish we could see like some of these very historic moments on film. And that's part of the fun about having so many different spinoff series is that they have the ability to dive deeply in this way. So yeah, I, w- I was just curious your thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting point. And so this is something I also want to talk about is just sort of Klingon culture for a minute, because like we have to have this context in order to understand this film. And I talk a lot about how Klingon culture is an honor-shame society. It's built upon... This is Rihanna's thesis. This is what she has her doctorate in. (laughs) (laughs) Klingon and Vulcan studies. That would be my doctorate for her. dual degree. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just because I took a pagans, Christians, and Jews class, and we talked a lot about, like, honor-shame cultures and religions, and I think it's very similar here for Klingons, and it really makes sense that in the beginning of this movie, they're like, we do not need help. Get out of here, Starfleet. Stay on your side of the neutral zone. Like, do not come into our space all of this stuff and i think that the evolution of certain klingons in this film is beautiful i mean it's so cool first of all 
even though this scene is very, very difficult and tough to witness slash think about who was writing this, the scene where they're all going to dinner together. Uh, I know I'm jumping ahead a little, but just thinking about the difference of opinions of everyone in that table. You know, we've got Kirk, who's got so much baggage with the Klingons, and we've got General Chang, who's also got a lot of baggage and has a secret agenda and all of this. And then we've got Chancellor Gorkon, who is really like the leading Klingon vying for peace. And it's just so cool to see a Klingon who is so interested in peace and believes that this is the most honorable destiny for the Klingons. And I think that that is so important because yes, today is a good day to die, but it's not a good day to die of suffocation on Kronos, well, you know, so have I think your whole race die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think he's realizing that in order to continue the honor of the Klingon race, we need to band with another group who could help us because otherwise like you can't die gloriously in battle and you can't continue on a society if if the home world is destroyed you'll only have your colonies and your outlying worlds and all of that and obviously Klingon society and culture would crumble and so I think that it's not as though he's setting aside his honor Chancellor Gorkon <laughs> is understanding that this is the most honorable direction to take and I think that that is essential because obviously we see this a lot in next generation where certain Klingons understand honor differently you know and like the Dura sisters they think it's dishonorable to have Starfleet involved in Klingon affairs but like you know Martok is all for it and so it's just interesting to see that even in Klingon culture of course there's going to be a lot of difference of opinion in what is the most honorable course of action and so I really liked this scene where we get to see all of these different Klingons because we're finally seeing Klingons have different opinions and different characters and not just a copy and paste Klingon you know yes this is what I was just about to say is that this is the first movie where we get to dive into actual Klingon culture and Starfleet and our senior officers here get to reconcile with interacting with a bunch of different Klingons and seeing, duh, they're all different and they all have different personalities. But before we get deeper into that, I just want to jump back a little bit and talk about the initial meeting briefing scene that we have in the beginning of the movie. And this is, of course, where we learn everything about how Kronos is heading towards disaster. And something that I thought was very interesting is that the whole senior officer staff, minus Sulu and Spock, Sulu, of course, is on the Excelsior, and we don't know where Spock is, and they're all walking into the meeting room, like old chums, you know, they're like joking with each other and messing around, and clearly they were all hanging out together. And they come into this meeting room. Kirk is wondering, like, oh, is this a retirement party? You know, they're talking (laughs) about how they're all three months away from retiring. The ship's going to be decommissioned. They're all going to get medals. You know, I mean, this is a very historic crew. They're excited to go out on a high note. And then they find out that this is a top secret meeting. And Kirk is looking around and he's like, where's Spock? What, like we're missing someone what is happening right now and then when starfleet president introduces who's going to talk about the subject it's spock who walks in and it's spock who's the one who is proposing that we have to save chronos and we have to help the klingons so they all won't die and the two people who are most against this is admiral cartwright who is Cisco's dad (laughs) (laughs) in Deep Space Nine, Mm -hmm. Um, Admiral Cartwright and Kirk. And Cartwright brings up some very racist facts 
Oh, God. Uh, yeah. You know, he's saying, this is terrible. The Klingons have been the worst to us. We won't be able to trust them. This is clearly a game that they're playing with us so they can take us down, you know. And Kirk says that, basically, you can't trust... Kirk agrees with Cartwright, says you can't trust the Klingons. Spock, mm-hmm. to counter that, he basically totally ignores them. And so does the president. Pretty much everyone ignores them, yeah. which is cool. Mm-hmm. And Spock suggests that Kirk is the only one who can go to head off this peace envoy. Basically, they're going to send out the Enterprise to rendezvous with the Chancellor and escort them to the peace treaty, like to Kittimer, where they're going to sign the accords and everything. And Kirk is furious at this because he does not want to go. Everyone knows that the Klingons killed his son. Kirk hates the Klingons. Like, he doesn't trust them. But Spock says only Nixon can go to China, and which is a hilariously, you know, now <laughs> he out said of it date. was a Vulcan proverb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like what? It's <laughs> not a Vulcan proverb. But I mean, the history of that is that only someone like Kirk, who hates Klingons like that, if he's able to turn around and say, "But I will still help you despite my issues with you," which is like Nixon, you know, like him opening the gateway to having discussions with China was like a huge deal in opening up trade in the East. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I totally agree with Spock. And I'm also just so overwhelmed with love for him because this is such consistent, typical Spock behavior, which we see in 2009. We see in Unification Part 1 and 2. I was just going to say that. Spock is always on the side of peace, always trying to help people, no matter what because he doesn't have any what do you, like he's emotional not, hangups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's not racist. <laughs> yeah, like wow, what a, what a low bar. <laughs> Spock's not racist. So. Yeah. No, but I think something that's also very important about this scene is that they announce Spock is here as son to the ambassador of Vulcan too, and yes. that's huge. Because Spock has not ever really wanted to affiliate himself with Sarek in this way, but he knows my dad's an ambassador. I can use this as well as a way in for Starfleet to start these negotiations, to start these talks, and I think as a way for the Klingons to feel a little bit more at ease. Okay, we're talking to a Vulcan ambassador's son. He's practically an ambassador himself. He has been in Starfleet forever, but he's a Vulcan. And he also is a half-human, and so I think that Spock is one of the best people for this role and one of the best people to guide Kirk because if anyone knows the turmoil of being like on both sides of this line it's spock and so obviously you know the vulcans in his time have always had peace with humans but he's he hasn't had peace with humans in so long and he's finding this peace within himself and he also understands humans more than many other vulcans do and so he understands kirk he understands that he needs to be beside him for this mission and he needs to guide him through his racism and through his uh, prejudice against Klingons. And so I think you're absolutely right, Ashlyn. It is sort of the, like, if Kirk can do it, anyone can kind of thing. Like, if he can get over his hang-ups, then there can be peace and end, quote, 70 years of hostility. That's huge. Well, actually, Rian, I kind of disagree with you because I thought I saw a break between Kirk and Spock in this moment. And I thought maybe it had been going on for a little while because there's a scene 
later, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but where mm-hmm. we see Spock in his quarters with, not Savick, um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with Valeris, who is a new Savick replacement, literally. I don't. I feel like literally some of the lines are extremely similar. Oh, absolutely. Um, like when she contradicts Kirk on the bridge, but... Oh, um, yeah, they were just literally like, let's make this scene again. <laughs> I was like, we just saw this in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. You go on quoting, what is it? You Regulations, go on, yeah. Mr. Savage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what the heck? But anyway, so Spock is in his quarters with Valeris, and he's wearing his heavy-duty Vulcan robes, like his Ooh. black ones, and he's meditating, yes. he's got the candles out, and he seems really energized and really focused, and like he has a plan for his life. I just see him in such contrast with Kirk and the rest of the crew because they're all sitting around waiting for retirement, kind of phoning it in, like, eh, whatever, you know, we'll just do this mission and then we'll be done. But Spock is really, he has a plan and he is very much ready to move on from Starfleet and definitely from the Enterprise. And Kirk is what I read that as as well, where he no longer like philosophically agrees with Kirk and especially about something as important as the destruction of Kronos. I think he kind of sees it as a separation. Mm. Um, and so that's just how I read it was that he was ready to move on to bigger and better things, you know, as all of us are and he's not letting age stop him he's saying i like it doesn't matter that i'm aging or that the enterprise is going out of commission i'm going to continue to go on to bigger and better things and continue to help the world while everyone else just like sits on their behind i don't know that was kind of the vibe that i got from spock is that he's absolutely very focused and um he's not taking any of this from kirk yeah I completely agree with you, Ashlyn. I think that what I was saying earlier is more, this is what Spock is anticipating going into this. Mm. I think that he has not, as much as he knows Kirk, he still has not pegged down human feelings, particularly after his rebirth, Mm. literally. He, as we've said before, he's been sort of this back to square one in Final Frontier and in the other movies and all of these things. Also, there's street sweeping happening outside, so if you all can hear it, it's very annoying. (laughs) Um, So I think that I do absolutely agree. I think that this is not something that Spock anticipated of Kirk to be this strong about. I think that he was envisioning, I've seen Kirk do Journey to Babel. I've seen Kirk do all of these diplomatic missions where he is at the forefront and he creates peace even in a tumultuous situation. But I think that he did not factor in David as much as he should have as a cause for Kirk's anguish against the Klingons. And I think that they are very much at odds ends here. I think that it's one of the most tumultuous times for them as their as their friendship goes, which is really actually pretty tragic that this is the last film we see them in together because it makes me think of yes, their friendship was probably repaired after this movie, but I don't think it'll ever be the same. And that makes me really sad to think about because there is a lot of bitterness that Kirk has of Spock bringing him into this. He gets really furious at him and is saying, like, why would you volunteer me? And a part of that is Sarek. Sarek suggested to Spock that Kirk would be the best for this. And I think, obviously, Spock agrees because he has this trust in Kirk. It's inherent. And he knows that he will come around. And so I think that that's what's still there. Even though they have this turmoil in their friendship right now, Spock still inherently trusts Kirk to do the right thing in the end. 
and it just takes him quite a while in this film. I disagree that their friendship is never repaired. I think by the end of this movie, they're back on the same page. Mm -hmm. But I think it is a beautiful... Well, it's not beautiful, but I I think it's an awesome way to start out this movie is with this huge disagreement between Kirk and Spock because these are two characters who are essentially married in every way. Mm -hmm. And to see them on such different sides of this issue is really interesting. It just sets up a really great story. We've never seen Kirk angry at Spock, I don't think, that I can remember. I unless I mean, Spock is like being possessed or something like I, I think the, yeah I think the only time that Kirk is this angry at Spock is when he risks his life to save Kirk you know yeah he's mad because he doesn't want to lose him and so I feel like this is you're right this is a completely different gap that they're having to cross together you know I love what you said and I agree with it that Spock he sees the best of Kirk and knows that he will get there mm-hmm. but I thought that this scene it's so uh, I, I don't know how to say it like the scene where they're arguing where everyone else leaves after the big secret t- top secret meeting and it's just Kirk and Spock in the room I thought it beautifully set up the two different sides that we're going to see throughout the movie because we know Starfleet to be this peacekeeping armada they're super woke they're mm-hmm. awesome they believe in love and peace And yet we see the figurehead of it, Kirk, is being blatantly racist towards the Klingons. And he's saying really terrible things like, they're all the same, they're awful, we can't trust them, I hate the Klingons, they killed my son. And I also was thinking that, you know, we've talked so much about David in this movie series and in our family series, Mm -hmm. and Kirk seemingly was less affected by his death than by like Spock's death earlier. And I think personally that yes, it is very tragic to lose a son that you really never knew. Mm -hmm. But I think, and we see a shot of Kirk like looking at David, um, like like a a framed picture. And you could say that it was just the writers trying to like shoehorn in um, a reason for Kirk to hate for Kirk to hate the Klingons which is a valid reason Mm -hmm. but I think more than that you could also read it as Kirk is using David as an excuse to hold on to his racism that's exactly what I was gonna say to hold on to his hatred of the Klingons is that yes they killed his son but really he doesn't want to change and he wants to continue to hate and to not get to know the Klingons and to not let them into his life or the Federation's life because that's too much change for him to deal with. And he's ready to retire and he's ready for things to stay the same forever. It's They're going to be fighting with the Klingons for the rest of his life because that's what's comfortable. And yeah. he is using this very good excuse, which, other, which everyone can sympathize mm-hmm. with. And that is the, that the Klingons killed his son. So how could he ever get over that, you know? Oh, absolutely. This is a beautiful point, Ashlyn. And I think you're entirely correct because we see that he is agreeing with very racist and problematic attitudes of Admiral Cartwright, like you said, and crazy because that, of course, the person who played uh, Joseph Sisko. And I also didn't realize this, but Frickin' Rene Arbenois was in this film. What? As, yeah, as Colonel West. What? Why? Oh no! He what? had the mustache. 
crazy. Are you kidding me? Wait, no way. I'm looking yes up way. a picture. Wait, Admiral West? No, I'm, I'm throwing it in the chat here, dude. Um, and then we'll, Admiral, we'll post Colonel it. Colonel West. Like, what? Seriously, I was so shocked. And actually, this morning on Instagram, I saw this amazing meme. Um, Bruh! <laughs> I know! Look at his mustache! Oh my god! Sorry. I know. Whoa. Oh my god. I know. Whoa. I did I know. not know that. Uh, yeah. I was completely shocked. I saw this thing on Instagram that was comparing the episode Paradise Lost in Deep Space Nine that talks about a coup to overthrow the changelings on Earth. And it had Odo, Joseph Sisko, and someone else who was in Undiscovered Country. And then it showed this one, and it was, like, also a plot to overthrow the Klingons. Oh, my God. And it was, like, coincidence? I think not. Or whatever. Oh, my God. So if I find that meme, I'll share it. Because it's just amazing. And I was, like, I never realized that Renee Arvin was in this. And is it's it just Worf? Like... LOL. <laughs> oh, it is Worf. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Worf's the other one. Of course. Yeah. Michael Dorn. So... Worf, of course. <laughs> yeah. So it just is so incredible that, like... We're getting all these incredible Star Trek actors coming back for later stuff who are in the movies. Like, once again, I just have to shout out the casting department who was like, hey, remember that one admiral? Like, let's put him in his Odo. I mean, let's, obviously they had more thoughts than that. Let's make him but... a, a featured character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was just, like, absolutely floored by that and so happy that that was him because he's such a legend in Star Trek. Whoa. Okay, and then real quick, before we move on from the scene, I just want to say one more thing that I was thinking about. Because throughout this movie, it's kind of suggested, and it is also brought up a little bit in this opening meeting. And this meeting is really important. That's why we're talking about it for so oh, long. Oh, it's so important. And then we're yeah. going to like get more, get on with the plot. But um, it's kind of suggested because the admirals are talking about we're going to dismantle the space stations along the neutral zone mm-hmm. like that are by Klingon territory. And it's hinted at that it will be the end of Starfleet. And Mm. it's not, like, blatantly said, but the Klingons say it, and there's, like, a couple sentences, like, referencing it. And I I feel like it's an idea that maybe wasn't quite fleshed out and they didn't commit to it. I think this shows the differences between the philosophy of what Starfleet is, because obviously it was created to unite all of these species into one government and that like basically protects the rest of the galaxy fundamentally the mission statement of starfleet would support letting the klingons into the federation but i think a lot of these admirals and kirk and a lot of people who have been entrenched in the war for so long think that starfleet is still a military operation and that its core responsibility is to protect federation citizens from the klingons (laughs) is this star trek beyond is this uh star trek discovery (laughs) right Um, yeah (laughs) is this enterprise um (laughs) yeah you're so right like these they're they're not nearly at the terra prime level but like there is a lot of that sort of like humanist attitudes in this film Well, I I think a lot of people fear in the Federation that if they let their guard down and let the Klingons into the Federation, they're just going to stab us in the back the next chance they get. 
but but yeah so i thought it was really interesting that this war with the klingon has, has been going on for so long this conflict that people can no longer even remember what the federation is really supposed to be all about even when the klingons come to dinner on the enterprise they do mention like oh you will have to dismantle starfleet for us to join like that's the stakes of you letting us in but that's obviously not what's happening no yeah i think that there is a lot of fear surrounding what could happen to starfleet and on the klingon side what could happen to the empire because there are so many klingons that think that this could sort of neuter them like make them weaker by joining starfleet but i mean at least chancellor gorkon knows that this is the best option for the species and like we said we, we have to take those risks and so ashlyn let's talk about this dinner scene because Oof, okay this is brutal i mean truly this scene i of course am just shocked by what's going on i mean the first thing we get in this moment is everyone beaming aboard you know we've got Chekhov's amazing line guess who's coming to dinner <laughs> you know and he's so mad everyone's well, just isn't that our literary grumpy. reference yeah what it's, is what is that from well i know it as the movie starring sydney pointier katherine hepburn spencer tracy you know the literal greats of of the 1960s and it is absolutely a fantastic film it's actually about a daughter a white daughter who brings home a african-american man for dinner for like to show that like hey we're dating now brings like into a white family and so i was wondering if this was Chekhov sort of pointing out that this is sort of a similar situation of like Mm. racism and there's going to be a lot of charged moments of like racial tension essentially Mm. and so i thought it was really interesting i'm sure that it might be an it might be another quote maybe i'm just thinking about the movie no i think you're right i can think of yeah and so i think it is very fascinating that Chekhov chose this quote because like also if you haven't seen that movie go see it cindy pointier is literally like blows it out of the water all of those actors do and it's an incredible movie that talks a lot about race in a time where it was sort of dicey to put that in a film and to be not racist about it you know Mm -hmm. and so i think that this was also star trek's attempt at hey remember 1967 did this and we're gonna like talk about it again we're gonna talk about the importance Mm -hmm. of bringing cultures together regardless of what they look like and so i think that I had higher hopes coming into this dinner about how well it would go than it actually did because I'm assuming this is a Starfleet diplomatic dinner I'm thinking Journey to Babel obviously Journey to Babel also had a fight and like a near death (laughs) so you know often diplomatic missions don't go that well I'm thinking Enterprise 2 with the Tellarites and the Andorians heading to the Babel conference you know similar thing there's a lot of violence enacted um, because it is true that species coming together for the first time uh, to try and vie for peace can be a very messy and difficult road like we see in unification part one and part two and part three and this is part zero (laughs) so you know i just i understand why there's so much tension at this dinner but it it makes me deeply uncomfortable particularly with kirk's comments well and even before we get to dinner when they transport aboard there's you know the whole crew is there and they're all saying hi um and it's like it goes fine uh Mm -hmm. when they beam aboard and then as soon as they leave there's two lower deckers like lieutenants or ensigns or something who are in the transporter room and they say to each other as soon as the door shuts like 
oh, those are Klingons. Like, they're all the same. I heard... No, I can't tell them apart. I, yeah, yeah, say. yes. I can't tell them apart. And he says, I hear that only the higher-end models can even speak. Ugh. Like, as if they're all, like, dumb monsters, you know, yeah. or, like, stupid creatures who can't even speak. I, I was so, like, grossed out by that. And then Valeris actually is secretly in the room, and she looks at them and is like, what the F? You know, like, that is messed up. And which is, you know... Which is, I think, actually covering her butt and her making sure that people aren't outwardly... She's like, hey, don't say that too loud, because, like, we all don't want to get outed as racist. Yeah. You know, because now we learn later, of course, about Valeris's true nature. But at the time, I was like, yeah, go, girl, like fight those racists but now i'm like oh no she's one of them (laughs) yeah she's one of them yeah but so i think that sets up the kind of feeling that's on the enterprise and again it just blows my mind because this is supposed to be this bright and beautiful future where we all Mm -hmm. sing songs and hold hands and love each other but it shows also that even in the future we're going to have to overcome these same types of issues over and over and over again and yeah. so then as the dinner commences, I feel like this Chancellor, like Chancellor Gorgon is cool. He's He's, awesome. he's really like calm and he's he a good leader. He brings up some really good points. Like he yes. really challenges Kirk in this beautiful way, but it's not like, it's not too antagonistic like Kirk gets. Yes. And so they have also a couple of very important people there too. Um, yeah. Chancellor Gorgon's daughter is there. Oh, also just a shout out that David Warner is Gorkon. And remember, he was the British guy in Final Frontier. um, (laughs) And we've got Christopher Plummer in this scene. Yeah, Christopher Plummer is General Chang, who, of course, is the Klingon with the eye patch. (laughs) That's Um, how I remembered him always. I was like, ah, eye patch Klingon. Before we got (laughs) Marshawn. Goron, who am I? Yeah, before Martog. Um, and then we have Rosanna De Soto as Azetbur, which is a really interesting name I've never heard for like a Klingon, not a typical Klingon name. Yeah. Um, Azetbur is her name. And they all present like very different personalities. Uh-huh. And Chang is clearly trying to provoke the Starfleet officers. And he's doing yeah. all these different quotes. He's quoting Shakespeare like a maniac. And Spock does his <laughs> typical, like, Hamlet, scene five, act two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go on a quick Hamlet tangent because okay. this movie is actually based off a Hamlet quote. They talk about the undiscovered country. But that is from Hamlet's famous to be or not to be soliloquy. And this is pretty much Hamlet deciding if he should kill his uncle to revenge his dad. And it's just really funny that they quote the Undiscovered Country here in this scene because the actual full quote is the Undiscovered Country born back from which no traveler returns. And so there is a sense of finality around it. There is a sense of this is a point of no return, you know, and so this is similarly with peace, finding peace for the Federation and the Klingons, you cannot return from that. You know, that is a completely different threshold you're creating for your society and for a culture. And so I think it is very fitting, but it also is very scary and daunting. It's like the next scene, a lot of people are going to get murdered, you know? And so you also know that that is a point it's going to be very difficult to return from. And so I just think it's really clever that they chose this for the title because it has such this like double meaning, particularly in Shakespeare. 
Yeah, I was even going to say, I feel like Chang might be looking at the undiscovered country in the opposite view, like yeah. like viewing peace as like this terrible thing you can't come back from. And so yeah, if like he chooses... Akin to murder. Yeah. He, yeah, exactly. And if he chooses to commit basically to plot to stop the peace from happening, like that is the best thing he can do for his country yeah. and his Klingons, which is just like insane. Right? Also, we have the freaking beautiful line of you haven't experienced hamlet until you've read it and it's original klingon which yeah, i have that, the original that, klingon it's so good <laughs> like it's just quote. Yeah. fantastic because like once again it's star trek showing how much they love hamlet and how much they love shakespeare in general <laughs> yes um i also i was just reading that interestingly they decided to dress up david warner as chancellor gorkon to try mm-hmm. to resemble abraham lincoln which I thought was interesting because they're, you know, obviously the Emancipation Proclamation, like someone who's trying to unite. I mean, he was like freeing the slaves. So, I mean, it's yeah. like a little different, different but like, yeah. but uniting two people a great who uniter. had yeah. not been previously at peace. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. I thought that was interesting. So there's all this like quoting going on and they're kind of having a good time yeah because that scene is truly people are rapid fire you know i think that it's it's one of the better written scenes in this film i mean it's really genius how quickly we have all these characters and actors quipping back and forth yes Um, it reminded me actually heavily of the scene in space seed where they go to dinner and khan is also kind of hinting at these sort of dicey questionable morals and stuff and they're having discussions about like world orders and about power dynamics and so i found it to be really similar you know it's like this very high tentious uh diplomatic dinner (laughs) exactly well and the scene that really like kind of puts the ice in the room is when general chang says we need breathing room and kirk says Hitler, 1938. And Whoa. and what's interesting is Kirk isn't wrong about yeah. that. And he is correctly placing that quote. Like, that was something Hitler was, like, very famous for saying in one of his speeches. Because he's talking about he wants to expand Germany. Uh, by murdering. Yeah, by, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, essentially, like, spreading Nazism everywhere. And so spock though i know is doing like an inward face palm like bruh like you can't i mean it's interesting because it makes kirk seem like the bad guy even though he literally is calling out this very like awful quote but i mean the point is that you're trying to be peaceful you know yeah. and but i think kirk just can't help but take the bait in that type of situation because he already hates the klingons he hates that he has to be here he hates that spock's put him in this situation and his nature is to fight back and to be like the top man in the room and so when chang similar to khan is like challenging him in this way and doing all these quotes (laughs) i think kirk's kirk can't help but quip back and be like hey calm down dude but then after that it just oh my gosh it just like goes so poorly Oh, it's awful. When, like, I even find it kind of frustrating that, like, Ahura is so grossed out by them eating, like, Klingon Gah, you know, like... And Scotty, too. Yeah, yeah, like, clearly none of them know much about Klingon culture or have respect for it. And it just makes me think that this is still an era of Starfleet that does not have a ton of other species on your ship. I mean, still we're seeing only Vulcans and humans. Well, this, I do not see any other species on that enterprise. Rihanna, this is exactly what uh, Gorgon's daughter says. This mm-hmm. um, this is what Azabur says during the dinner, which is a great point, 
is that Kirk is talking about, we want peace for all humankind. And she says, but you're saying humankind. And clearly there's only humans in Starfleet except for present company, which is Valeris and Spock are the ones in the room. Yeah. Um, which is a great point. And she's saying like, basically all of your language is even revolved around being human and being an earthling. And, well, and being very like xenophobic in that way. You yeah. Know, it's like not inclusive of the rest of culture, you know? And this is also very evident when we learn after the attack that McCoy knows nothing about Klingon anatomy. And I, I'd i say that like, he probably only knows so much about Vulcan anatomy because of the times that he's had to like learn on the fly with Spock. Well, but, no, I think Vulcans were the one who came to earth for first contact and so i think that doctors would have been like studying vulcan physiology i don't know because spock was the only one in starfleet and we've seen in original series episodes him being like why is your heart where your liver is you know like he's clearly i mean and that could just be mccoy being like you green-blooded vulcan (laughs) i think i think it's hard because I also did not expect to talk so much about Enterprise in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was going to say it's it's hard with all the different canons because Phlox is trained to, yeah. like, perform, op- like, surgery on anyone. But like, that's also because he had this exchange program. Like, and that he's was, like, adjacent to Starfleet. It's yeah. true. So maybe they're not training their human doctors in Starfleet. I don't think so. I think mm. this is truly what I'm thinking, at least in this era, because Spock is the only non-human aboard for a while and so and he's even half human you know and so like i think that this is what exactly what the chancellor's daughter azabur is saying she's making these amazing points like you said and it really brings to light the shortcomings of the federation and why we need this more than ever why we need more species to join the federation to start to expand our understanding of like guess what we're not the only species out there it kind of reminds me of america in a way where like america is such a young country there's still so much we don't know and so much that like we have not experienced as a country and as like a government and so it's like we just need more inclusivity to understand people better because we can't keep living in this society of like putting some people as superior and some people as inferior you know and i think that's quite what the federation is doing without even realizing it in this era and so klingon peace is like this huge huge important step and so it's horrible that there's this whole plot against this happening and that all of this stuff this domino effect in this film really comes out to play yeah i yeah and again you know we talked about how relevant this movie was with the climate change earlier on i feel like this is also very relevant to today and i feel like we can always learn lessons about this you know i think just seeing like how gross it is to see the people that we have put on a pedestal for the whole series be so blatantly awful towards this group of people that they have viewed as enemies for so long and that they're having such a hard time getting over this it really makes them seem incredibly human and i agree with you rihanna that this is more than ever why we need to let the klingons in (laughs) well and if this is sort of an analogy of the cold war think about how much hostility still exists today towards russian people you know regardless of like the time period or you know i think about the coronavirus and how it's created so much xenophobia against asian people you know and so like there's always these sort of quote-unquote enemies that truly it's like if you just learn more about other people who aren't like you you know and so i think that this is something that kirk is learning entirely throughout this movie and it's yeah i mean after world war ii 
and the attack on Pearl Harbor, we put Japanese Americans in internment camps, including George Takei. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely it disgusting. And and uh. so, again, this is just something that Star Trek does so well, is pull from experiences in our history and put a huge spotlight on it and say, look how ugly this is. Mm-hmm. Look how ugly these people can be and how horrific Kirk is being in these scenes. I mean, it's truly surprising to me at some points because I think you're absolutely right. He didn't know David that well. Not that he can't have been grieving him or anything. Like, I understand, like you said, it's very hard to lose someone, particularly when you barely know them because there's so much time lost that, like, could have been. And I think that's what Kirk is lingering on a lot. But you're absolutely right. I think it is a catalyst for his racism to continue. It's just easier to hate than it is to forgive and move on. Exactly. Well, and I think a lot of the crew here, honestly, including Kirk, sound like white supremacists, you know? It's really scary, especially the two engineers who we already talked about, you know? it's It's deeply disturbing. And so... I love that kind of the resolution of this movie is that everyone like grows, you know, and I feel like that's not really an accurate representation of like what can really happen in real life. But to be fair, something really crazy happens in this movie. And that is this next scene after dinner. Well, first of all, it looks like the Enterprise is shooting the Klingon ship and they disables their gravitational field. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they're all floating around. They're totally out of control of the situation. They have like no shields. It looks like the Enterprise just like blindly attacked them, but all the torpedoes are still in the bay, even though the computer does show that they fired. It's super confusing. And then in the midst of all this chaos, and Kirk is like asleep also and he's so grumpy yeah. and he has a line you know before they're they go to drunk. bed yeah they're all drunk because they had Romulan ale it's a great point Rihanna we got to set the scene up for the murder mystery about to happen yeah um, exactly <laughs> um, and then af- okay so I'll back up a little bit so after the dinner you know Kirk says like I'm gonna go to bed before like I screw this up more than I already have or yeah. like I hope like nothing else can go worse basically. Yeah. Um, and McCoy says I because I love McCoy and I'm rooting for him in this yeah. trial. He says I'm gonna go drink a hot pot of coffee. So he like downs some coffee to go get yeah. sober essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kirk goes to sleep and then Spock calls him to the bridge and is like, "Yo, like you gotta come here." And then as soon as he gets up there, that's when the shooting starts and mm-hmm. everyone's rushing onto the bridge, like refiring, like what the heck is happening? What is going yeah. on? And this is when the situation turns from like a tenuous failure to a very, very serious situation. Could be all out war. Yeah. This is like Michael starting the war with the Klingons. Like this, yeah. this is so horrific and so much is riding on this moment that the fact that our crew who we love and would die for is potentially like doing this is so shocking and of course like we all trust that it's no one from the enterprise you know but anyway so while all this chaos is happening two officers beam aboard they have the famous magnetic boots they like murder a bunch of innocent Klingons including the Chancellor and he's about to die. Kirk thinks I can salvage the situation a little bit if I go over there and show that I had nothing to do with it. I'll bring McCoy because he's a doctor Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't know where the Klingon doctor was. I don't know I don't know if they even were there which maybe why would you bring a doctor to a peace treaty? and with Klingon culture like are doctors very common? I don't know. I don't think I know about any Klingon doctors. Yeah because I think you know if you're gonna die from wounds of battle you're gonna die from battle wounds I mean, you know yeah if 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We see that the Chancellor is about to die. McCoy does his best, but like yeah. we just talked about, McCoy doesn't know Klingon anatomy, and he does mm-hmm. die on the table. And um, he says before he dies, don't let it end this way, Captain. Oh, man. This is such a heart-wrenching scene and such a shock because we've yeah. never seen anything like this happen. And I just love how they've set up these stakes are so high. And this is such a disaster that's going on. Oh, and it's sort of like as much, uh, of course, it's like a horrifying scene, but it's also done so well with everyone floating around and just like even with the 90s blood, you know, with the pink blood, it's still such a tentious scene. And I think it's done really well. Yeah, I really have to applaud Nicholas Meyer because it's very beautifully shot and it does it does just feel like a murder mystery here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and this is when it starts because yeah. Azipur, Gorkon's daughter, believes, even though she was there, she is still kind of like, oh, you murdered my dad. General Chang is vehemently, like, he seizes the opportunity, obviously, because we know he's in on it, yeah. um, to blame Kirk and McCoy for the entire situation. And it forces the Federation to be in a really awkward place because. It, it looks kind of like um, their most famous officer and like star captain murdered a bunch of Klingons. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the way that they do this scene where Azabar, she's now chancellor, which is amazing. And she has the scene where she looks right into the camera and is pretty much, you know, like talking to Kirk through the camera, but also talking to the audience. And I think it's such a powerful moment where she's saying, I will avenge my father. Like there will be justice for this. And like, pretty much like, how could you? He was hoping for peace. I just gotta say another classic Star Trek trope, you know, that there's like a, a murder going to a peace conference. Like this happens all the time or an attempted murder. Like it's just wild. And so then they get right to the trial. <laughs> yeah, here we are. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, they waste no time. And, you know, in at least in our justice system, it takes like two years for <laughs> anyone to actually be tried after Not like the Klingons. something like this. No, the Klingons want swift action. And this is all according to plan. Yeah, I mean, this is a plan to silence Kirk. It's planned to get him out of the way. And also, I was surprised they weren't doing a Federation trial. Instead, they were doing a Klingon one, but I guess it had jurisdiction because it was Klingons who died in the attack, you know, all of this stuff. But I thought it was interesting that they weren't tried by Starfleet. Well, also, I think they weren't because the Klingons captured them. Like, True. the, the yeah, Klingons they arrested them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think if they had been in a neutral situation, like if this had, had occurred at Federation headquarters, True. it would have been a Federation trial. But yeah, the, I think you're the, absolutely right. there was no one who could even get their hands on McCoy or Shatner. Or well, Kirk, sorry. <laughs> he just is Shatner in this Shatner. movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, well, I think you're absolutely right. And also, Kirk does make a very strategic decision here to not fire on the Klingons to surrender. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. I think yes. this is huge. This yes. is so important. Because, like, obviously you can't start a war with the Klingons right now. He understands that even as much as he hates the Klingons. He knows that he didn't kill anyone. He knows that this is bigger than himself. That if there were to have a war starting, you're exactly right. It'd be a Michael Burnham situation all over again. It was very smart. And I'm honestly very surprised. Actually, not surprised. But, like, I am glad the Klingons didn't destroy the Enterprise. But it was a little bit out of character. They were kind of surprised that they took prisoners at all. I, I think it's because it's the plan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, they would have been knocked, like, killed right then and there. Yeah. Okay. 
I think this is such a great distinction for Kirk because as terrible as he's acted throughout this movie, he is not a murderer. Like there's yeah. a, obviously there's a line and I know that seems like a big yeah. like, jumping point, but like for so many, I don't want to get too dark on this podcast, but it's I don't know. One. Like I, there, yeah. there are so many people who are like so racist that they like want to cause violence and like mm-hmm. they sign up to join the KKK and like kill people. It's yeah. so awful. And awful. so Kirk is not, at least not on that end of the spectrum. Just like yeah. so many people are not that way. And so I think with politics, like it's so painted into like only seeing the extremes. Yeah. There's so many shades of gray and what starts to change Kirk's mind and also get him to start looking to Spock again. And I'm also, soon we have to talk about Valeris. But I thought that Kirk choosing to not fire on the Klingons and surrender completely, he looks at Spock throughout this scene. And I almost think that he's remembering this conversation that they had alone together in the meeting room at the beginning of the movie where Spock is essentially saying like, I see the best in you and I know what you're capable of. And I think this is the moment that Kirk is like, oh, oh, okay. You're right. (laughs) Well, I think honestly, Spock brings out the best in everyone. And so everyone wants to be their best selves around Spock. And so I think Kirk is realizing not only am I better than this, but also, like, Spock expects this of me. Yeah, and also, I'm a Federation captain. Yeah. You know, like, I think the the seriousness of the situation hits him in the moment, and this is why he is such a good captain, is he's mm-hmm. able to comprehend all of the different dynamics at play right now, and he knows I am speaking as the Federation right now. And so if I shoot or act brashly, which he could, it's not out of character for him to ignore the rules, which, you know, they bring up in the trial. But in this situation, Kirk is like, oh man, no, I I have to follow protocol to the letter right now because this is a super delicate situation. So I just love seeing that because even though Kirk is like off the rails in this movie and Shatner is really like not true Kirk... I thought Mm -hmm. that that tiny moment gave me such hope for him as a character. Same. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then we have this trial scene. It really cracks me up. It's similar trial room to what we've seen in other Star Trek movies. And like lower decks, low key. I was like, this is like that episode. (laughs) Absolutely. They do this in Beyond. Like there's so many hilarious moments where I feel like it's just the same set (laughs) somehow years apart. But we've got this big Klingon trial and Bones and Kirk have their little translators. They're listening on their big walkie talkies. I love this. I love this. (laughs) And here comes Michael freaking Dorn, a legend in the Star Trek community. <laughs> and we speculated with our mom for like 10 minutes about this. Well, and we, we think that it's Worf's grandfather. We it's had to pause be. the movie to talk yeah. about this because we were like, well, first of all, we all need like a potty break because it's about halfway through. And yeah. um, also like, what? What? Like what? what? <laughs> yeah, literally. And so it's just incredible because he is Worf in the credits and and in the subtitles. And so I think that they literally did this as a way to give more generations of Worf and to get Michael Dorn on here to say, hey, if you like TNG, here's your friend. (laughs) I think also the opposite. Like, hey, if you like this movie, check out Michael Dorn on uh, CBS tonight at (laughs) 7. So true. It goes either way. I mean, 
mean, we see that Star Trek, a lot of Star Trek movies are a bit of a promotion for TNG. Yeah, so, with obvi- I mean, obviously, like, yeah. it's all, they're all married. It's all interconnected. Um, but I did do some math for anyone at home who's trying to figure out, like, oh, is this Worf's dad? Is this just, like, Worf before he joined Starfleet? Right. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> because this exact movie, so Undiscovered Country, came out exactly 71 years before season one, before, like, Encounter at Farpoint, which is the pilot episode of TNG. So this is 71 years before, and I know Klingons, like, don't live crazy long lives like Vulcans. I think that you know and like what rihanna already said the conclusion we came to is that this has got to be Worf's grandfather and i'm I'm sorry to just like tangent out about this but this is all what, what was in our discussion is that klingons don't really have last names like it's even though Worf is the son of moog he's in the house of moog Mm-hmm. You know, and so Moog is a family name, just like Duras is a family name, but it's not like Lursa Duras, Bator yeah. Duras. You know, they they don't go by that in their daily lives. And so I think that Worf is like a, a traditional name that they pass down, you know, like at yeah. least in my husband's family, there are a lot of Wills and Williams because mm-hmm. that's the name of great, great grandfather William. And then there's like grandfather William and uncle William and baby Will, yeah. um, you know, it's a name that they, that really runs in the family. And so I think that it's similar with Worf where Worf was probably named after his grandfather, Worf. He's credited as Colonel Worf, who's a Klingon attorney. <laughs> I love that. I mean, he's really advocating the whole time. He's like, objection. Oh, oh my God. Wait, Rihanna. On, oh my God. On Wikipedia, it says the character is the grandfather of Worf. Woo! Okay. So our reasoning so we is right. correct. <laughs> I know this. I know it's Wikipedia and like maybe mom went in and edited it before we recorded the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, but anyway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, there we Colonel go. Worf. There we go. Colonel Worf, my hero. I'm going to have like print out a poster of Colonel Worf and put it on my my fridge. <laughs> I seriously love him. Like sadly no one listens to him and he advocates so well for Kirk and McCoy because they are making a lot of accusations, you know. The prosecutor is all up in their business about like you were drunk. Maybe you didn't remember the murder or like you already hate Klingons. They killed your son. Like you had a couple to drink and then you decided let's put on some boots. Let's attack. It's the perfect time. You know, and so let's like he, do this very thought out murder plan while we're all while wasted. We're yeah. yeah. And so and then, of course, they accuse McCoy of saying like, oh, you're old. Your hands were shaking. You were drunk. Like all of this stuff that. Of course, McCoy is just livid and so emotional about this because obviously I would be, particularly as a doctor who took the Hippocratic Oath, who understands being a doctor is higher than any sort of like boundaries of this of space or of the Federation, you know? I mean, McCoy transcends that to take care of anyone. And so I just was so mad that they were accusing McCoy of this. Yeah, and me being such a McCoy stan and for everyone who doesn't know what that means, for such a McCoy fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I really have trouble using Stan as a... Stan is, like, even a super fan. So, like, you are McCoy Stan. I'm a Spock Stan. Like, we... That's when you, like, are truly love them with all your heart. I'm just, like, growing out of the slang from the youths. Aww. And so I, like... It took me, like, a year to figure out how to use Stan. So now... Becoming more millennial and less Gen Z by the day, Ash. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm right on the border. Literally, I'm, like, 10 days away from being Gen Z. So 
Um, I'm right on the border. But anyway, I am a McCoy stan. Like, I, I was so angry during this trial scene and i always get angry during it because they're messing with my man with my <laughs> yeah. dr mccoy and don't ask him about his handshaking he's perfect <laughs> yeah. he's not too old and he like was on the table like trying to give this klingon cpr like he was like hitting his chest and doing his absolute best he brought him back for a moment so that he could deliver his final line. yeah which is a big deal and also what I love about that scene about McCoy reviving or trying attempting to revive Gorkon is that DeForest Kelly does such a good job in the scene because you know that the stakes of possibly like the whole future are on his on his hands right yeah. now. Like if he can't save Gorkon, it could be, you know, back to horrific war and the treaty could be canceled. Like it's yeah. it's so crazy stakes. Yeah, so it all goes poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Does not go well for our beloved Starfleet officers here. They get literally sent to a dilithium mining colony. Which, um, is this Prodigy? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, what? I was half expecting them to call it we're a Pinthe. <laughs> yeah, or like a Klingon prison colony. I was... Yeah, I was ready. Or like, is this New Zealand? Like, what's happening? <laughs> they they got some penal colonies all over here in this world. It's a rough colony too. It's, it's very very scary. Like, literally, you just get sent outside into the unforgiving planet Hoth, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, freezing cold. If you escape, like they say in the beginning, it's easy because there's this whole magnetic field that's blocking any kind of transporters. Because obviously, that would be like the best way to break your buddy out of prison is just like beam him up. And so there's a field that prevents that. But even if you're able to escape from the field, you are on this planet that is so cold it will kill you in minutes, essentially. Which we see when Kirk and McCoy are dropped off at the planet, we see someone like freeze to death in like three minutes. And so it's interesting yeah. that later in the movie, they're outside for like an hour and none of them die. And he was like in his boxers. You're right. He was like naked. That's true. But um, I think they honestly do that to scare the prisoners. They're like, we've got one. We're ready to freeze. But let's wait until the new batch of prisoners get here. Then we'll send them out. That, that's probably true. Yeah. Like that seems on brand for this Klingon like warden or whatever. They said they have no guards. It's a free for all. Yeah. Which obviously makes it more dangerous for the prisoners because we see Kirk literally get into a fist fight in the first like three seconds because someone wants his coat. You know what's crazy about this whole scene is that I feel like Kirk has been so tired and out of it and not really excited or passionate about anything in this movie. Shatner, and I think he's acting, um, <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I can't tell if it's just like Shatner's really checked out or if he's as Kirk being really checked out. No offense. I just, I can't tell. But man, does he come alive in this prison scene. <laughs> oh God. That, that doesn't say something about Kirk. Well, I just, it's really interesting because... Kirk is just so defeated and tired this whole movie, and yet he is the first one to get into a fight. And he is, like, trying to bang the lady, like, the only lady in the prison, you know? There's probably other ladies there. The only, well, the only one that we see, he, like, makes out with her, which is a pretty, yeah. like, that's a 100% success in kissing a lady that you meet, you know? You meet <laughs> one, you, you kiss one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? 
It's really crazy. And so I feel like this is kind of a callback to Kirk and how he always is like in prison. And <laughs> I think I think the one of the explanations could also be that this whole movie, like up until this point, Kirk has not really had drive to do much. Honestly, he's been like anti-driven to support the Klingons, all this stuff. He's not doing something he wants to do. So now he's in prison for life. They've been sentenced for life. And that is what spurs him. He says, this is a no-win scenario, so I'm going to win it anyway. I think this is truly part of it, is that he is now faced with something impossible. And that gets him very, very excited to do the impossible and to escape yeah he says no one has escaped before bet i will (laughs) well and mccoy i think even calls it the kobayashi maru he's like jim it's the kobayashi maru all over again (laughs) literally he's like yeah i'm gonna cheat this cheat the system here (laughs) um one of my favorite parts in this movie that i always get a great laugh out of is this whole prison scene's been going on the enterprise crew is busy working their little tails off trying to figure out where the boots are (laughs) they're doing amazing this investigative team it's so cute literally Spock is like, attention, I'm seizing control of the ship and you all have to look through your quarters for some boots. <laughs> yeah, and they're looking for like the torpedoes. Scotty's like, I swear, they weren't fired. He's like, like I took a picture. The they're all in the bay. Yeah. Um, I Snapchatted it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I DM'd the Federation president. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the scene that always makes me crack up is when I think Valeris or someone, or maybe Scotty or her, someone on the Enterprise, maybe Chekhov, I don't know, someone asked Spock, okay, what do you think's happening right now? Like, how, you know, how are we going to rescue Kirk? Are they going to be okay? What's going yeah. on? And Spock is like, I've known Kirk for a long time, and I know that right now, in these types of situations, he is deep into his escape plan. And then it, the scene flashes to Kirk, like, getting just punched and knocked on his butt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's perfect timing. I love this back and forth. And it's also just hilarious because in this scene as well spock is they're trying to figure out what happened with the torpedoes like why they weren't like why they're still in the bay but it shows that they were fired and he says as an ancestor of mine once said once you eliminate the impossible whatever reigns however improbable must be the truth and that means that sherlock holmes is his ancestor so that means amanda is related to sherlock holmes this is canon greatest revelation And also the fact that Spock knows that is amazing, you know? He's like, I mean, I'm sure um, it's one actually. of Amanda's, like, most pride moments. He's like, I'm related to the great Sherlock Holmes. She's like every Vulcan professional ambassador dinner. She's like, yeah. by the way, did you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Sherlock is about as close as you're going to get to a human Vulcan, so. It's um, true. Yeah, so I also just have a question, like, about the shapeshifter character that we meet because she reminds me a lot of mystique from Mm x-men got like similar yellow eyes the shape shifting the all of that and i'm just curious have we ever seen this species before or ever again not that i know of i don't think so either we've seen people are they shape shift into like one other form (laughs) but not a bun maybe maybe she's like the suluban who can shape shift Oh, yeah, they can. I kind of forgot, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I don't know. We don't really know much about her species, but it's cool that she could turn into this, like, really hairy, 
creature to escape and stay warm. I'm like, good for you. Oh, and isn't that a famous person too? Yes, David Bowie's wife. My our mom told us this. Oh yeah, mom was like a wealth of knowledge during this movie. Literally, she was just pointing out. She's like, and there's this per like. Oh, she said at one point that guy who was with Sulu. Oh, was like Christian really Slater. Famous. Yeah, she goes, that's Christian Slater. I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, our mom had like a wealth of knowledge here, but I did not realize that. David Bowie's wife was in this movie. That's freaking amazing. So yeah, yeah David it's just Bowie's, amazing. David Bowie's wife. She's a model. Um, Iman, I believe, is how you pronounce her name. Yeah, super cool. She, she does well in this movie, even though her role is a bit bizarre. She could like turn into a kid, so she can climb through things. Like it's just interesting. Yeah, but she does come up with this escape plan. McCoy is like Jim. Like, what are you doing? Why are you trusting this stranger just because you kissed her? And I'm like, I agree. Well, I love it because they're, like, having this conversation, Kirk and McCoy are, about their situation. And then she comes up to them, makes out with Kirk. And McCoy's just laying right there. And after she leaves, he's like, what is with you? And I think it's a great moment because obviously it's a callback to his crazy, gotta bed every lady um, obsession. And also just the fact that McCoy is like, dude, we're like old. Like, what is what's going on? He's like, we're in prison. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not even that they're old, but like they're in prison. <laughs> yeah, like you yeah. don't got time for this. And he's also like, how can we trust her? Which turns out we can't. <laughs> exactly. And she is working with the warden or whatever. Yeah, the warden, the people who are running the prison. She's gonna get heavily paid to basically trick them into escaping, because so then they can be killed. Yeah, I mean, she wants them to die on this planet or to die by the warden's hands and they almost do it's really kind of hilarious because but then he's like well since you're about to die anyway let me tell you the whole well thing so there's the, an, like another kirk fight that happens right before they get beamed up and the part i thought was really cool too and it shows you how much uh kirk and spock are really on the same page is that kirk has a little device that is listening or it's like a tracker i think yeah um yeah that he has on him before they go to this planet and so that way the enterprise can just be like chilling above the planet and can pick them up once they once get out once they see yeah once they see that it's been activated like okay it's readable let's beat them up exactly and so once they get to that part then the shapeshifter lady turns into william shatner and they fight each other (laughs) very bizarre it's very strange and then the warden comes and luckily shoots the lady instead of shoot shatner it's it's really like a totally it's luck because they both look exactly the same but yeah and they're both like no shoot him shoot him yeah it's very it's very weird and then rihanna's right uh the guard is about to tell all the secrets about like how this happened kirk and mccoy get beamed up and kirk is really annoyed <laughs> i know i'm like he just saved your life like it's okay you'll figure it out pretty soon who done it like <laughs> yeah very strange but yeah so rihanna you want to talk a little bit about like what's been going on in the enterprise maybe we can talk about valeris too the search for boots is what's been oh going on oh my gosh it's <laughs> it's all about these boots they're obsessed with the boots and understandably because they have the biggest evidence of having Klingon blood on them. They're very intense. And so it's just really funny because Scotty, I think, is the one who finally finds the boots, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, he is. And he's very excited. He's like, Spoke, I found the boots! And so they all (laughs) run down there and turns out they belong to two crew members who have been stunned? Yes. Or are they dead? I think stunned. 
Yeah. So they're just like passed out <laughs> and some random crew members, Ashlyn and I were sort of speculating and our mom were speculating like maybe it was the the racist ones. <laughs> security officers from the beginning and the, the, the transporter transport room. room. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we've got this whole thing going on. They're looking for the boots and Valeris is seemingly like heading up this investigation. She's very on top of everything, making sure to look through everyone's quarters. She also does this crazy moment because they're like, oh, maybe they were destroyed by phasers. And so she pulls out a phaser and sets it to vanish mode. And it's <laughs> this like, doesn't even tell people to get out of the way and like shoots at this cooking pot in the kitchen. And then of course the pot gets vanished and they're all just like, what? And then this alarm goes off and no one is informed. Like, they don't tell the security officers to stand out. So people were, like, running in, and they're like, what's happening? Why is the alarm going off? <laughs> and they're like, don't worry, it was just a test. But apparently that's how she realizes, like, no, they can't have destroyed the boots. They can't have put them in, like, a recluse thing because they checked all of the little, like, you Recycle know, Recycle things. Yeah, yeah. the recyclers or whatever. So turns out like they try to they, it leads to a locker whose name is dax which i thought was hilarious and it's unrelated it's not a trill rian and Weird. i were so hoping that it would yeah. be like maybe the dax who slept with mccoy but or, no or the dax who was like the murderer uh, murderer yeah <laughs> that would have been a really amazing tie-in <laughs> i know i'm like maybe i should just write a fan fiction about this to make right? it canon in my head uh, but yeah so turns out that so they find the people with the boots, but again, they're just randos, seemingly. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, yeah, I feel like the scene that happens in the kitchen is the first sign that Valeris is kind of off her rocker, <laughs> yeah. because that is not a normal thing to do, and it's especially procedure. as a trained officer, like, you should never discharge your weapon without some kind of warning. Like, this is yeah. very, like, villainous vibes. Um, and very, it's just, it's too chaotic. And especially as a Vulcan, like, that is not logical. Not at all. No. And everything with Valeris is interesting because I don't really know what to think about her, but Spock clearly really likes her and really trusts her. I mean, he says, you will be my replacement. replacement. Yeah. He wants her to become, like, the science officer on, like, the best ship, which we know the Enterprise is getting decommissioned. So I guess, like, whatever, maybe the Excelsior when it gets home, um, <laughs> uh, like, on the next ship, because Spock is planning to leave Starfleet. And so I feel like yeah. he has a lot riding on her. I think he sees her as his protege, someone like Savick, who he's trying to indoctrinate with, his wisdom and experience in Starfleet but absolutely I think it's really you know the evidence is uh now that Kirk is on board and they find the boots they're able to really proceed with the investigation even more and also mm -hmm. Chekhov found some blood on the transporter bay right. and got it analyzed and realized that it was the Klingon blood so obviously like it was even more proof that the murderers had come back to the ship well, and they're in the meantime trying to stall. And I just think it's amazing. I love the scenes where Ahura and Spock and Scotty are all sort of in on this ruse of like, oh, sorry, our warp core's broken. We can't go home. Because they know if they go to a starbase or if they go back to Starfleet, the killers will have time to escape. And so this keeps them in a contained environment and is what ends up helping, you know, to out Valeris as one of the um instigators of this crime exactly yeah 
Well, and I, literally, because we also watched this movie with my partner, uh, Brianna, and literally she was like, I just miss Savick. And that's how I feel this mm-hmm. whole movie, because obviously Valeris is no comparison to how amazing Savick is. And also she's like, <laughs> plotting Not a whole evil. Coup. Yeah. Savick's yeah. <laughs> evil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, I agree. I was like, I do miss Savick here. And I don't really appreciate her character, even like it is shocking that she's sort of the villain. I remember being a little surprised by that. Um, because I don't ever expect a Vulcan to be against peace or, like, people joining the Federation, but she is this very racist Vulcan and very, like, prejudiced. Isn't she Romulan? Nope. Okay, see, this was my other memory (laughs) from this movie, (laughs) is that she's Romulan? Are you sure? What? That would be classic Trek as well. That's Data's day right there. No, she's not. Okay. I so I misremembered. I thought she was Romulan at the end of this <laughs> So yeah, this whole movie I was waiting for her to be revealed as Romulan because I thought I remembered that she was. And I think my brain kind of said, How can a Vulcan be evil? <laughs> right? Well, I mean that's the Star Trek plot is a lot of Romulans pretend to be Vulcans. Yeah, so, so like, I think I just kinda merged and used some yeah. Huh. Okay, well. Yeah. But no, I mean she is a part of this plot that was centered around General Chang and a couple of the humans, Cartwright at the Federation, who were against peace, which is sort of funny that they all banded together to not choose peace. I'm like, so you teamed up with the Klingons to not team up with the Klingons. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. It's all the people who are the most afraid of change <laughs> work together to stop it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if you guys put that energy into, like, actually getting to know one another and, like, not be so hateful, you would actually make a pretty good team, you know? Yeah. But then we have this very morally questionable scene with Spock, and I have a lot of issues with it. Because we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but a huge Vulcan taboo is performing a mind meld on an unwilling participant. It's akin to mind rape. I mean, we saw it in Enterprise with T'Pol. There's like a whole ethical implication surrounding it. But Spock does initiate an unwanted mind meld on Valeris. And I just don't think that the ends justify the means in any circumstance. Yeah, I don't I, care if you're trying uh, to get information out. Like, I, I don't. And I know the summit is happening, like, that day at Kittermer, and they're all trying to rush back to get there in time to make sure that there's no assassination attempt. You know, all this stuff is happening where, like, they know that they're running out of time and they need information. But there's got to be a better way because yeah. it's just horrible. And it's something that I would never think Spock capable of. When she, like, screams, too, it's really rough. I actually was thinking about Mirror Spock when I saw him do this, because this is exactly what Mirror Spock does, too, is, like, grab him. Jim McCoy. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's a little bit different because McCoy was like, oh, like, what's happening? Like, a little (laughs) more willing, you know, to participate in the mind meld, but because it would be to save him. But Mm -hmm. in this case, it was only to extract information. And I think she would have told them, honestly. Mm. I don't know. I mean, if she was so unwilling in the mind meld, like, I don't think she would have freely told. But either way. But Chang would have. Chang is, like, so annoying and, like, boasting about his plans. Like, egotistical. I feel like Chang would have told them, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. I didn't know it was Chang until until she told them. Yeah. Uh, It's just either way. It's problematic. It's just not morally. (laughs) It's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. And... I just, like, I'm so shocked that he would do this and that the writers would think that, like, oh, let's have this be sort of a heroic 
finding out the whodunit information, I'm like, no, this is grotesque. I do not like it. Well, and Spock, he was beginning to suspect her. And I think he is not easily betrayed because he's so analytical and so just thoughtful about everything. I think the fact Mm -hmm. that he was wrong, he was taking it out on her. And he was mad. Like, I, I haven't seen him this mad in a while. I don't think I've ever seen him this mad except like in alternate yeah. universes. <laughs> yeah, or like under the influence of something. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of scary to see Spock that angry. And again, I think it's because this is such a high stakes situation. It's taking its toll on everyone. I'm not trying yeah. to excuse his behavior but just trying to like just explain where he's at understand it yeah Yeah. and it's not it's yeah it's not okay it's very it's very scary don't like it yeah yeah well and then they have this scene where wait she's saying they were all dead who is she talking about oh well is that um when they were like they caught her in the medical bay is that right yeah because that was where they trapped her where everyone was like lying down in sick bay under the covers yeah which then Ashlyn makes a very good point. She like turns to me and my mom and says, this reminds me of Seska in Voyager. Yeah, it's very, like, they they just, did the same ploy. Yeah, yeah, they're all laying down in bed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But like Valeris or someone says like they were all dead and Spock says I've been dead before. <laughs> I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so Rihanna, I'm wondering, who did you think it was? Like, did you have any inkling as to like who the murderer was when you first watched it or uh like were you disappointed in this revelation were you did it like fit like what were your thoughts about this i mean i definitely would have guessed it would have been someone like cartwright because he was so outrightly bigoted in the beginning of this movie but i didn't imagine that the klingons would have a hand in it as well you know like that seemed that was very surprising to me i was I remember being very surprised about Valeris because, like you said, we all just sort of inherently trust Vulcans, particularly I do, and so it was this huge betrayal, and I think that, like, I would have been disappointed if it would have just been some randos, or, like, some people we really didn't know that they're just trying to, like, haha, show that Starfleet has its cracks, which, like, they did, but they did it in a way that I thought was pretty clever, but what do you think? Yeah, the only issue I see with the whodunit in the Star Trek movie is that we love everyone in our senior bridge crew, and so even though, like, they're all, like, being racist towards the Klingons, we never really suspect that it's going to be like Chekhov, (laughs) you know, who murdered all of them. And (laughs) um, imagine, well, but it would be a very interesting movie. And I think if this was not like the last one where they're trying to like pay tribute to them, it would have been a crazy turn. Like, yeah, it was Chekhov, like being brainwashed and he murdered all the Klingons, you know, (laughs) yeah. check off snaps um, yeah. but I I mean in when I was a kid watching it I was also shocked that it was hilarious but kind of in hindsight now like I think if I had seen it as an adult and didn't yeah. remember or had never seen it before it's kind of obvious it's like you know when Johnny Kirk and McCoy beam down to the planet who's gonna die on the away mission yeah. you know it's like when you have the bridge crew and one new person in this movie who's the killer you know it's yeah probably gonna be the new person but yeah still so I, true. I agree that the fact that she's vulcan and the fact that spock trusted her so much really threw me off so good writing absolutely despite like everything else 
Yeah, and so then we have this very tense moment at the end of the film where they have arrived at Kittimer, they have the information, they know who the traitors are, and everyone is put into action to stop this, and everyone gets this really important role that saves the day, and I think that's so important. It's not, like, of course Kirk's the one to physically jump in front of the phaser fire to stop the Federation president from dying, from being assassinated. But Scotty tackles the yes. the shooter. I mean, we have Ahura and Chekhov, like, rushing in to usher people out, like, help to do evacuation. And then we have Sulu with his very timely entrance, you know? I mean, everyone plays their part, and that is essential for Star Trek. Star Trek has always been a show, no matter what series, it's been a show about the crew, not about the single main character. And so everyone has their part to play in saving these people and starting peace, you know, like initiating peace. It's amazing. Yeah, I I love it. And I also just, I know we haven't talked about it too much in this episode right now, but I do think Ahura has the most lines in this movie more than any other movie. And during the scene on the Enterprise, like the whole search for the boots that they're doing (laughs) aboard the ship, we have some great hilarious moments like when Scotty, Ahura, and Chekhov are trying to talk to the Klingons. And I guess in this universe, Ahura does not know Klingonese. And so they're looking through physical dictionary books, which is amazing. (laughs) You are in the 2200s, people. Come on. Yeah, there's no Google Translate. It's hilarious. And so they're like talking back and like they're looking really quickly for Klingon words to talk back to the Klingon outpost. It's it's hilarious. Oh, it's um, so funny. We Yeah, we even see, like, Janice Rand. Rand is on Excelsior. Yeah, Rand is on Excelsior. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I love to see, and, you know, Scotty, of course, is so much a highlight in this movie as it's Chekhov, and then Sulu is so much at the beginning, and then he comes in, and he helps to save the day, and it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the combination of the power of Excelsior and the Enterprise that help to resolve this story. And so yeah. I just think that it's it's smart to involve the whole crew in a movie that's supposed to be celebrating their final adventure out in space. And I I do wish maybe there had been a little bit more, but I think for what we get in these movies, it's, it's pretty great. Well, yeah, and I think, too, we have a moment where Kirk is also fighting the final battle of his stereotypes and his bigotry because we have this line after he saves the president where he said, Gorkon had to die before I understood how prejudiced I was. Yeah, exactly. And I love that they kind of write that out for us because that's, well, and Kirk, yeah, he gives the speech at the end. Uh That's really, really beautiful. And he talks about kind of this arc that he's overcome and mm-hmm. once again just proving to me and to everyone that he is like such the face of Starfleet. Like he's finally able to turn this around on himself. I mean, he did literally look at look at himself in the mirror, look at himself in the flesh um, when he was fighting that lady. Um, <laughs> and I love his speech at the end and it paints a nice picture of how I wish like everyone got over their stereotypes. (laughs) Yeah and I think it's important to see this growth because it's important to know that it's possible and even for the most bigoted people to turn around and understand people and the other side of the story and just there's more to it than just 
bigotry and hatred like there's people and there's cultures and they're just as important as we are you know and so i think like i don't know it's just it's a really cool ending and i think that it does speak well to what star trek is always trying to accomplish yeah i honestly was tearing up during this speech you know you hear so much about how the early form of government like for in the united states how like the early congress there were actually like fights that broke out like on the senate floor and Mm -hmm. things like that and so i i love that in seeing this like kind of museum piece that we talked about at the beginning that there was this really intense thing that happened and that peace was not an easy journey to make and that it was almost destroyed at the last minute but we still were able to overcome and create it despite all of the hardships that they went through throughout this movie. And so I just feel so satisfied by this ending and knowing like, oh, whatever they talk about, like the Kittimer Accords in the future, I'm gonna remember it with Scotty jumping to, (laughs) you know, like get the shooter out of the way. Like how epic was it that it's this crew that we know and love, it has such a historical role and they're already so historic. Yeah, and I think, too, it reminds us that sometimes peace has to be fought for, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes you have to continue to push past the bigotry to get to peace and that the road may be really rough to peace, you know, and I think it's important that they put this in the story because obviously there's going to be people who don't want it and there's going to be people who want it to stay the same and I'm so glad that they were able to overcome that and that Kirk was able to see his shortcomings because I think particularly in these later movies Kirk is very much set in his ways and knows that he's sort of like in charge of a lot of things and he just half the movies he just like takes the ship without asking or just you know like all of this stuff that's blatantly against protocol and all of this and I think that it's because of the spirit of learning and growth that he always, you know, comes back to be this amazing captain and who will end up making the right decisions. And this movie shows it really well. Yes, I agree. Oh, just what a fun ending. And yeah. what a fun movie. I mean, we really went through some highs and lows, like deep lows. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and some nice highs. And mm-hmm. I thought that also the signatures that they did oh. for the ending credits were really moving. And I was honestly bawling at the end yeah. because seeing the signatures it makes it really real to me and it also made me remember just how many of these cast members that we've lost Mm -hmm. um and that i'm glad they had this final way to go out with them you know making such history in in every way as actors and as characters and just talking about the name enterprise and saying how like however that name is carried on (laughs) has this legacy you know Mm -hmm. and like of course they're hinting again to next generation and all of this stuff but i just think it's a really gorgeous send-off i agree i was just like weeping at signatures like (laughs) it's just it's really perfect and it does create this sense of finality that is beautiful and sad you know but it's it is a really good send-off and I think that they all get nice quotes throughout where mm-hmm. you can tell like they're really trying to wrap this up and the quotes are really saying like this is our final journey and this is like end of the road for us. It's definitely better than Turnabout Intruder which was the last episode oh. of season three you know where there was no wrap up and no <laughs> no sense of like closure. Uh, just and Janice. Yeah just yeah it's it's really annoying. Like, it's awful. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so I love that we finally get a sense of closure with this cast and I feel like yeah it's it's a great way to say goodbye to them 
Mm-hmm. Star Trek is now in its 55 year. It just had the 55th anniversary on September 8th, which is our mom and stepdad's uh, wedding anniversary. So that's cool. <laughs> A glorious day. <laughs> glorious day. <laughs> glorious day for all. Yeah. Well, oh. And as the crew is saying goodbye to Star Trek, we are saying goodbye to this first crew and we are moving on to the next generation. Yes. Oh, man. I can't believe oh, it. We have... Next week, what are we watching? <laughs> oh. We are watching Generations. <laughs> oh, are we? Are we sure? <laughs> um, yeah. So I can't believe it, but we are pretty much officially halfway through our series on movies now and i want to thank you all so much for joining us today to talk about the undiscovered country and just you know if ever you're in a crisis just say a lot of quotes (laughs) that's what general chang did at the end of this movie he just literally had no lines written they just took quotes no it was quote it was like 10 quotes in a row and this was also a part of our drinking game was every time there was a literary reference and so guys let me tell you honestly the last like 10 minutes is kind of a blur for me because (laughs) it was like drink 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 (laughs) general chang he put us in bed (laughs) he put us to bed he literally like ashley goes at one point like he's drunk on quotes (laughs) and i was like i'm drunk in general (laughs) he was like to be or not to be death is but a prison like it was literally it was insane oh absolutely like i think i quote a lot of literary references i've got nothing on general chang no absolutely nothing (laughs) um and before we go i just want to wish everyone a special star trek week because this is i mean i'm not sure exactly when this episode will be out i think we're probably gonna try to get out on friday so if it is friday that means (laughs) that discovery is back amazing we have prodigy we have discovery coming back <gasps> on the have... same day we we'll uh, have two star trek episodes coming out on the same day that happened last um, like when yeah actually there uh was a i saw you know how there's a great instagram page uh and twitter page that's like on trek on this day uh-huh. and i think uh last thursday it said that there was a ds9 and voyager episode like happening on the same day and amazing. um it's happening again now and oh, oh my god oh, that's so amazing so I hope you all are just enjoying the hell out of Discovery and Prodigy and we can't wait to discuss Prodigy eventually on this podcast so don't worry we will be talking about it as new things come out we will be adding them to our endless <laughs> list of episodes Prodigy is going to now be a part of our official you know cast and crew of episodes that we'll be having so we will now have nine episodes per week usually once we're covering well, I feel, topics on um, themes again I feel like we might come combine it like with the animated series or with lower decks depending on what the theme is but you know that's yeah we'll have to have that discussion (laughs) we're kind of you know but uh (laughs) yeah depends on the theme for sure but fear not we shall still be talking about new trek as we continue on but for now we're still in an era of movies and we can't wait or can we wait to talk about generations next week i think we just gotta watch it and get her done (laughs) (laughs) i think we definitely need a drinking game again because how else am i gonna get through the nexus yeah absolutely and i will definitely post the drinking game that we played for undiscovered country it was definitely a more solemn one than uh final frontier it was like a more solemn drunkness (laughs) but then (laughs) except for at the end where we were just like wow (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you all so much for joining us today and we cannot wait for next week. Yeah, we're so excited. Rihanna, thanks for joining me and thanks for always just being a great podcast host and oh my gosh, going you into too. depths with these amazing movies. I love getting a chat with you. Thanks so much, Ashlyn. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the seventh episode of our movie series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek Generations. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing is by me, Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro was written by Jerry Goldsmith. He's like, give me this bird. Literally.